Well, there's no problem. If you had a gun, shoot him in the head. Welcome to Shoot Me Straight. Dave Fields, Eddie Gallagher. We're here with my buddy Mason Fowler, um, one of the top jiu-jitsu dudes in the world. Uh, it's, I'd say top three. He'd probably say less, but um, he just won the UFC Fight Pass uh, back a couple months ago. Um, and awesome friend. He's taught a couple seminars that are two that I've been to. Um, and he's come down here to Florida to hang out with us, give us private lessons, and we were going to have him on the podcast. Good to have you, man. Man, uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, I was lied to, though. I, you know, you told me Eddie was going to be here. Mm. Then I showed up, and it's just David, so. Yeah. He pulled a little switcheroo on me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. It's yeah. good to be here. Good to be here. <laughs> Dude, so get I don't I don't know any of your story or background. I know you're f- you live in Fresno or outside Fresno. Yeah, I, I grew up in Fresno, and um, I started my MMA and jiu-jitsu experience there. And then uh, about four years ago, I moved to San Jose to train with um, my professor, Kyle Terra. Now, did you, growing up, did you did you know, hey, I want to be an MMA fighter, or I want to go into jiu-jitsu at all? I, I became a fan of MMA when I was maybe like 15, when I was in high school. And then uh, I at that point, I was, you know, getting into trouble and, I didn't have a set path that I wanted to go down with my life. And I thought, like, oh, I want to do that. Like, I wanted to fight in the UFC. Um, but I didn't end up actually starting to train until I was 18. Gotcha. Did you start with jiu-jitsu? Did you start training Muay Thai? Or? So when I when I first uh, signed up at the gym, like, right when I walked in, I told them, like, I want to fight in the UFC. Like, what? Do I, that's what I can do. Like, if I sign up here, I'm going to fight in the UFC, right? You know, I didn't really under, understand how it worked. I thought if I signed up there, like, within six months, I would be in the UFC, you know? And they're like, yeah, um, you can uh, eventually go to the UFC, but you have to, like, train first and da-da-da-da. So that was my, my goal. So I just started with everything. Got you. Yeah. yeah. It, when you when you train for MMA, do they are, – are you training just a mixture of everything together? Like a, like a variation of jiu-jitsu for MMA, a variation of Muay Thai for MMA? Are you training, like, specific positions? How, do, how does that start? I think it's good in the beginning to really just dive into the individual martial arts. Um, so I think if you have no experience at all, it, it would just be good to learn boxing, learn kickboxing, learn wrestling, learn jiu-jitsu. You can learn them all individually. It does take time, and it is a lot easier if you have a background in one of the martial arts because then you have one thing you can lean on. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely, like, as you get to the higher levels, um, le- like, for example, a guy that's in the UFC already, um, mo- a lot of your trainings are going to be kind of mixing everything together. So you're going to be doing a lot of, like, grappling with punches or you're going to be doing striking with takedowns or, like, full MMA rounds. But when you're just starting out, I think it's better to um, break down the martial arts individually and focus on, on each one. So in 18, when you signed up and you started going, when was your, like from then to when was your first fight? Man, it's actually, this is such a, a funny story, and I don't think I've ever uh, talked about it publicly before, but um, I, I really wanted to fight, like right away. As soon as I started training, I wanted to fight um, because, you know, I was that typical uh, 18, 19-year-old kid where I was like lifting weights. I was playing rugby at the time, so I was in good shape. And I, I thought I was, like, a badass dude. I thought I could fight. And, uh, you know, got into little stupid street fights at, like, school or at parties or whatever. And, uh, you know, I thought I could fight because of that. So as soon as I signed up to the gym, I was asking them to book me a fight. Mm-hmm. Right away, I wanted to fight. 
And my coach was actually really smart. He kept, uh, his name's Isaac, my first coach. He kept on telling me like, oh yeah, bro. Uh, he's like, yeah, bro. Uh, there's a, there's a fight card in, uh, in October, you know, I'm going to get you on. We're going to get you a fight in October. And that, that would be like a month away because he wanted me to keep on training, you know? Mm. So then I'll be training, training, training. He's like, oh bro, actually, uh, yeah, we're going to get you on something in November, you know? And then November would come around and then it's like, oh bro, we're going to get you on something in December. So I was like. I was chomping at the bit. I couldn't wait. I wanted to fight, right? Yeah. Eventually, uh, we got to the point where we got a fight booked. And I think it was like, I really think it was like th- like three or four months into training. It was really early, which if I was training a young fighter now, I would tell them that it's not long enough. I would make, if I was training someone from scratch, I would make them train for probably at least a year, you know, because you don't want to send anyone in there unprepared, even if they are really talented. You know, I didn't have a wrestling background or anything like that. I was just, like, a young athletic kid. Um, but anyway, so I kept on, like, bugging my coach, bugging my coach. He ended up booking me a fight. And then whenever you, you fight an amateur or pro MMA, you have to get all these, like, medical requirements done. Um, so you have to get blood work done, for example. You have to get, like, an EKG on your heart. Um, you have to get an MRI on your brain. You have You have to get all these things done. So, um, and of course I had no experience with this, so I'm, I was just kind of winging it, going off whatever the paperwork said. Um, there's like a packet, you have to get all these things done and then you turn it in and then you get your license and then you can fight. So, um, I was getting all my medicals done and, uh, you know, everyone, all my friends and family and stuff, I had been telling them for months that I was going to fight because my coach had kept telling me. Like, oh, you're going to fight in October. You're going to fight in November. So everyone, whenever they were asking me, oh, when are you going to finally fight, bro? Like, they thought I was kind of, like, full of shit because I kept telling them, oh, my coach said I'm going to fight in October. My coach said I'm going to fight in November, right? So I really, once the fight came, I really felt like no matter what, I had to fight mm-hmm. because I had been telling people for months, right? Yeah. So I'm getting all the medicals done, and then uh, there's, like, a panel of things that you have to get done, uh, tested for. Um, it's like... Hep, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, AIDS. It's like six things. Because in the fight, if you start bleeding, obviously you can transfer blood to the other person. Sure. So any diseases that can be transferred through blood, um, you can't test positive for any of those, right? Sure. So I went to uh, Kaiser, um, which was like whatever my the hospital that I used to go to when I was a kid. And uh, I got the blood panel done. And then I turned it in. I turned everything in kind of like last minute. It was you know, within a couple, like three or four days of the fight that I finally got all my paperwork done. And at that point, I'm telling everyone already that I'm going to fight. I'm already like selling tickets to everyone, like everyone that I worked with, all my family, I was selling tickets. Everyone's going to go, right? And uh, maybe like, maybe like the the day before the fight, uh, the commission pretty much didn't clear my blood work because one of the tests... um, the, the hospital didn't order the right test. So, like, I gave the hospital the paperwork, and I told them I need these tests. But one of the tests is, like, it's, like, hepatitis B antigen that you have to test for. It's AG. It's hep B AG is the name of the test. And the test that the hospital ordered was, like, uh, hepatitis B antibody. So they ordered hep B AB. Yeah. So they ordered the wrong test for me, you know. Um, and then... The turnaround time is usually at least, like, minimum is, like, 48 hours. So there was no way for me to get uh, the blood work cleared by the commission in order to fight. 
you know. So I was pretty much screwed. And you have to think of, you know, as a young 18, 19-year-old kid telling everyone you're going to fight, selling tickets. And everyone already thought I was full of shit for the longest time, right? So I was like, in my head, I was like, I have to fight, right? So I actually went and, like, like uh, I told them that I was going to go get the blood work redone or, like, ask the hospital to retest it or something. And I, like, uh, I kind of, like, forged the, the blood work. I, like, scanned it. <laughs> And then I photoshopped it and changed the G to a B and then resent it back. And I was like, hey, I was able to get it in time. But the commission knew. They're, they knew there's, there's no, they're not stupid. It's like there's no way you can get it done in that short period of time. And they ended up suspending me because I had, like, forged paperwork. Like, that's, you can't do that, you know? <laughs> it's, and it's just, like, morally not right either because imagine if I really did have that thing that they were testing for. For sure. And then I passed. Like, that's really fucked up now i understand obviously i'm older but yeah. at the time i was a young kid and i had a lot of pressure on me and and uh i thought i had to do whatever i had to do to try and fight right so they ended up suspending me for six months and now looking back on it you know at the time when they say like there's that saying when something happens to you you don't know if it's a, a kind of like a good thing or a bad thing now i understand that that was the best thing that could have happened to me yeah. because i was three months into training chances are that I probably would have lost. Um, I might have gotten discouraged and quit training. Who knows? And not been where I am today. So I ended up taking the six months, and I was in the gym every day those six months. I was just training the whole time. And then ended up, uh, you know, I ended up writing a letter to the commission, apologizing, taking ownership for it. And uh, the commission was like, okay, your suspension's up. The six-month suspension is up. And they allowed me to get my license and fight, you know. And then uh, I ended up winning, and... I I was still so unexperienced in the nine-month time that it was still, like, almost too early for me. So, luckily, I had that, that six-month suspension because I couldn't fight, and uh, I had to just keep on training, and I ended up, you know, getting better, and then I ended up winning and having a successful, you know, MMA and then jiu-jitsu career that stemmed from that. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. That's a wild story. Crazy, yeah. So, nine, month, nine months in, you have your first fight, yeah. and then you had six professional – I had six amateur fights, and then I had two pro fights. Got ya. All You won all of them? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And then what made you stop? Um, yeah, I uh, at that point, I, I had no education. I was 23, and I had all my eggs in one basket of, like, I'm going to be a professional fighter. I'm going to fight in the UFC. I'm going to try to be a UFC champ. That was my whole, like, life's mission, right? And I was on the right path, you know. I was starting to work my way up. And uh, I felt like my skills were very good. Um, my athleticism was good. I, f I felt like I really had a, a chance to make that make that dream a reality, you know. And uh, I remember it was really weird. I had just gotten done with a normal sparring day practice. Mm -hmm. And nothing crazy happened. Like, I didn't get dropped. I didn't get knocked out or anything like that. But it was just a normal sparring day. I was training at Josh Koscheck's gym. He came from AK, so we, I mean, we sparred pretty hard, and uh, we sparred usually, like, three times a week, so we were always getting hit in the head, and, uh, you know, I played rugby before that, so I had taken some big hits to the head from rugby, too, as well, so whatever, got done with the sparring session, got home, and then I just started, like, seeing, like, all these flashes of light for, for like, 20, 30 minutes. I couldn't, like, look at my phone, or I couldn't watch TV or anything. Everything was just flashes. I couldn't see anything except flashes. And then after that, that lasted like maybe 30 minutes. And 
I now I, I've done some research and it's called like a uh, it's called like it's like a visual migraine, um, something along those lines. Mm. Um, it's a type of migraine, mm. and uh, it's not a type of concussion. Um, it, it's a type of migraine that can stem from head trauma. Um, it's called an optical migraine. Um, so I had that that optical migraine for like 20 or 30 minutes. And then I just had like a headache afterwards. And then from there I had like post concussion syndrome for like five or six months. And it was at the point where I couldn't like, I was really uncomfortable um, if I was out at dinner or like these lights right here would be just like killing me. You know, I had really bad light sensitivity and uh, I would walk into Whole Foods and I would be like this, like, you know, the lights everywhere were bothering me really bad. And uh, I couldn't work out at all. I couldn't do any type of training. Uh, I would try to go for, like, a light jog, and I would start getting dizzy and almost pass out. So it was really weird, man. I had this, like, this really shitty post-concussion syndrome for, for a long time. I went to a bunch of different doctors. I did a bunch of research. And uh, basically with post-concussion syndrome, there's, like, um, there's different lengths of time that it can last, and they don't know why or how. And it's just, like... Um, some people get it for like a week and then it goes away. Some people get it for like a month and then it goes away. Some people get it for around six months and it goes away. And then for some people, it just never goes away. That's what the doctor told me. Mm. And I was like, okay, so <laughs> at what, what am I supposed to do? There's n they're like, oh, well, you can't do anything. You just have to rest. I'm like, okay, well, I can't train. You know, what? like I was thinking about long-term, what am I going to do basically with my life, right? If this never goes away, yeah. you know, because I couldn't do jujitsu. Um, so even my, my kind of backup plan, um, if I had failed as an MMA fighter, I was always thinking, well, I'm going to, at the same time I'm training jujitsu. So, you know, I'll be able to get my black belt and open up my academy and then I'll at least have kind of a business that I can run after fighting. So I'm a purple belt at this time and I can't train. So I'm thinking like, man, what if this lasts forever? I can't go back to training and get my black belt. What am I going to do? Yeah. I had no college education, no, no backup plan. So during that time, um, yeah, it was really difficult for me. Um, I was already thinking about quitting, pretty much quitting MMA and maybe focusing on ch just trying to get my black belt, maybe taking a break, getting my black belt, and then maybe jumping back. I don't know, but it was, you know, it was a tough time for me. And obviously, like for a lot of us, training is uh, therapy, right? It helps your mental health. Even if you don't do martial arts, just going to the gym and lifting weights or even going for a run. That's a lot of, a lot of our, um, it's a lot of our therapy and I wasn't able to do any of that. So I was, you know, obviously in a dark place. Um, n nothing like too crazy, but definitely feeling a little depressed. Um, you know, I was staying inside a lot, not training anyways. Uh, after about the six month mark, finally the symptoms started to go away. I started to feel better. And then right away, as soon as I started to feel better, I accepted a fight <laughs> in Bellator in my hometown because there was a big fight that was coming and I didn't want to miss the opportunity. Um, so started, you know, started training camp, started dieting, getting my weight down. And uh, for whatever reason, just through, I didn't, I didn't uh, spar at all in that training camp because I was still worried about, um, you know, my brain. And another reason that I took the fight is because the promoter had offered me, you know, a winnable matchup. It was kind of, it was a journeyman type guy. He was like four and four or something like that. Um, local guy, older, really, really favorable matchup. And it was for, you know, decent money at, at the time. Um, 
in my hometown at the Save Mart Center, big big fight card. Um, so I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do that. I'll fight that guy. I don't care. Like I'm not gonna get not, I'm not gonna get concussed by this guy. So I'll just do the training camp with no sparring, and then I'll just go and fight this guy. You know. Throughout the training camp uh, and through dieting um, and starting to cut the weight, the symptoms started to come back like halfway through the training camp. You know, and then I'm like panicking, right? Because I'm starting to feel dizzy again and starting to feel the light sensitivity again. And I have a contract signed. And I'm again, I'm selling tickets to everyone. I sold like 200 tickets for that fight. And uh, and then my opponent drops out, right? And then after my opponent dropped out, the promotion was trying to find me a new opponent. But it was like a complete 180. They started sending me these kids that were like these undefeated kids, like these killers, I was like, okay, well, that's probably not a good idea because the only reason I took this fight at this time was because it was, you know, it was a, w- a beatable guy, right? Yeah, well, when it when it hurt your post concussion syndrome, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna really, pr- I'm probably not gonna get hit at all. I can probably just take this guy down and choke him in the first round. So it went from that to being like, oh, how about this undefeated kid from like Team Alpha Male, or how about I'm like, oh my god, this is not what I thought it was gonna be, right? Ended up, like, I, I kind of stood my ground there. And before that, I had never been choosy about opponents or anything like that. But I was pretty – I wanted to be pretty careful about, you know, the head trauma stuff. It was obviously something that if I would have gotten knocked out at that point, it might have ended my career, right? So uh, they ended up getting me another kind of journeyman-type guy. Um, the guy accepted the fight. And then, you know, uh, I was – it was like the day before the weigh-ins – and that guy, like, got shot in a drive-by. What? The guy, like, was bumping some music in a bad neighborhood, and someone rolled up on him and shot into his car and uh, ended up hitting him one time, like, in the, in his ass. And he posted it on social media, like, oh, I got shot, and I'm still fighting tomorrow. The commission's like, no, you're not. So they pulled him, and uh, I ended up, Wait, he posted it he on He posted social? that he was in the hospital with a bullet. And he posted a bullet, like a hole in his ass from getting shot. And he was talking about, like, oh, they can't they can't hurt me. I'm going to still be fighting tomorrow. And it's like, bro, come on, man. Like, you should definitely shouldn't have posted that if you wanted to fight, right? <laughs> but I think maybe he wanted to have kind of like a built-in excuse in case he lost. He's <laughs> like, well, I only lost because I got <laughs> shot yesterday, <laughs> you know? Uh, so anyways, I really uh, – I really do feel like that was some type of that was kind of like a sign. Um, yeah, you had two different guys drop out, but but more importantly, it was like the guy the night before the fight, the guy got shot. It's like, what are the odds of that happening? And and that was really my only way out of the fight because um, because then because I always had this thing of like, which mo- most fighters do is like you don't want people to think that you're, like, scared to fight, right? So most fighters won't pull out of fights, maybe even if they should, because they don't want people to think they pulled out because they're scared. No, They, they don't want to be, like, a, a pussy, right? Yeah. So I don't think there was any way that I was going to pull out of that fight when I should have because the concussion symptoms are coming back. So the only way for me to not fight was for my opponent to get shot right before because then they couldn't find a replacement. The promotion still ended up paying me, and... You know, everyone that bought tickets from me basically still went to the fights. So it all it all kind of worked out. But what I hear you that, saying is that you shot your opponent. That right is, <laughs> that's the conspiracy, right? To get out of the fight. <laughs> uh. 
But I don't ev- know if there's ever been a fight I've been into that I haven't been scared at some level. For sure. Like, yeah. it's a fight. Yeah. I mean, there's fights that you don't think about because you're so angry and it just happens. But, like, that any premeditation better. is, like, yeah, there's fear and anxiety there. Yeah, it would be better if it would be better if you just fought um, spontaneously. Because whenever someone, like in high school, whenever it's first period and the guy tells you, like, after class, I'm going to fuck you up. And it's like, oh, all day. You're like, you're thinking about it, right? It's the only thing you can think about. You're like, he's going to throw that punch. I'm going to duck in. Yeah, you're like thinking about what am I going to do? I'm going to take him down. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's always the anticipation that, that kills everyone. But, yeah, after that. Um, Is that when you met Kyle? I met Kyle way after that. Okay. Yeah. So, after that, that was when I was maybe 23. That was seven years ago, um, that last, that last training camp. And, uh, after that I decided that I was going to definitely take a break. Um, and then I just started getting into jujitsu and I started because before that I was training all the martial arts. So as soon as I got done with that fight camp, I started just focusing on jujitsu. And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to train any striking. I'm going to try to protect my brain for at least for now. I didn't know what I was going to do yet. And, uh, I just started entering in some jiu-jitsu tournaments, some, some smaller ones, some bigger ones, and I started having a lot of success. And then I started to think that maybe I could, you know, start to go that route a little bit. When I had first gotten into jiu-jitsu full-time, my, my goal, like I said, was just to get my black belt. I didn't really understand there was a whole infrastructure just in the world of jiu-jitsu. I didn't understand that there were full-time jiu-jitsu athletes. I thought really everyone that was doing jiu-jitsu was like doing it as part of training for MMA. I mm-hmm. didn't really understand that there, it, the sport itself was as big as it was. And of course now it's gotten 10 times bigger. Um, but yeah, I just started competing in some of these tournaments and started to have success. And at that same time, uh, we brought in a high level black belt from Brazil, my, my old coach Gabriel. And he was like a ref in the IBJJF and he was a seasoned competitor. He had competed, um, you know, hundreds of times in jiu-jitsu. And uh, he kind of started to get me into that world and guide me and let me know the right steps to take. Because I didn't even know, like, I didn't know which tournaments were more important than others. I didn't know uh, a lot of the intricacies in the rules. I didn't understand. The rules are very, very complicated. Um, So him being a ref and being able to really uh, break down some of the finer nuances in the rules really helped me out a lot. Um, You know, I think I'm a pretty smart person, so... Jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu matches can be like a chess game, so you have to really understand all the small details in the rules, and then you can kind of play them to your favor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so throughout that time period, I started to um, – I was training with Gabriel for two years, uh, ended up winning the world championships, Gianogi at purple belt, and then he promoted me to brown belt. And then when I was a brown belt is when I started training with Kyle, Kyle Terra. And you've told me before that when you started training with – Kyle, it was like you were relearning jiu-jitsu all over again. Yeah, definitely. There was a lot of things that I had to do differently um, in training with Kyle. Uh, one big thing is that I would uh, I would rely a lot on my athleticism. Um, he got me to really slow down and focus more on technique. And uh, we definitely we butted heads a lot in the beginning because, for me, um, the, I, I would always train really hard. And... Uh, it was difficult for me to transition into the training schedule that he wanted me on um, because they would do like a really hard practice. Like Monday, comp class would be really, really taxing on the body, like like two-hour training. And then he would want me 
back there three hours later to do another training. And it was like, we were always training hard. And it was a lot more volume than I was used to. I wasn't used to drilling for an hour and a half every day. I wasn't used to training live for an hour and a half every day. Um, and because of that, the way that I was training, I was using a lot of athleticism. Because if you're going 100% speed and power, um, you're only going to be able to train for, you know, 45 minutes or one hour a day. So if you're going to, if you want to get that extra mat time, sometimes you have to slow it down and use a little bit less of your athleticism um, so that your, your muscles aren't as drained and fatigued. And if you can rely more on technique, then you can actually spend more hours on the mat every day. It, it was his philosophy like, it, like it, you've told me that you believe he's one of the best jujitsu jujitsu guys in the like just pure jujitsu guys yeah. in the world or jujitsu coaches which one how would you say he, he's definitely a high level coach um but just his, his understanding of jujitsu i think he's definitely one of the top one of the top you know top three, maybe top five people in the world just in his understanding of leverage and technique. And that just stems from the fact that he's so small and, you know, he was always competing in the absolute divisions. And uh, he, he's not necessarily the most athletically gifted person. So he wasn't able to rely on, um, say, strength or speed. He had to rely on just everything being technically perfect. Mm. It did, did you know how you have like you know, with B team and you have with Danaher um, and you have uh, Eddie Bravo um, with Tent Plant like you have different styles and Gracie guys and so like was is he a completely different style or is he a mix between? Yeah, every team, um, every team has different people that have different styles under their team. Um, so there's, there's guys at, at, we can use B team, for example, like, um, the two most, uh, well-known guys from that team are, are Craig Jones and Nikki Rod, and they have two completely different styles. Um, same thing with, um, 10th planet guys that are under Eddie Bravo. Before it was like 10th planet guys were known as just, uh, being, playing rubber guard and doing leg locks and maybe not having the best kind of like, uh, positional jujitsu, or the best uh, wrestling or anything like that. But now they have guys out of 10th Planet, um, such as like Andy Varela, PJ Barch, who are dynamic uh, wrestlers, dynamic passers, um, at real athletic and explosive, and don't even – I never seen one of those guys play rubber guard or, or lake locks. So now it's a lot more common that you, you have – let's say you have 10 guys on one team. Let's say there's 10 guys that are 10th Planet guys. Um, all 10 of those guys might have different strengths and a different style um, because, um, for one thing, there's there's guys from all over the world that are representing that team. So it's not like how it was back in the day where um, if you had six high-level guys um, training out of 10th Planet, they're all six training in the same location. Um, they might be training all over um, all six different gyms. Mm. So they're going to have six different styles. And then on top of that, there's a lot of jiu-jitsu guys now that are coming from a uh, wrestling base. So imagine if we get like a, a world-class wrestler that starts training at CTA under Kyle. Um, you know, he can build his whole game around wrestling, and he's not necessarily going to show the same jiu-jitsu that Kyle would play. Got yeah. So, gotcha. so yeah, so everyone, um, all the teams are, are, they're not just one style anymore. 
they're not doing one thing. And another reason why um, that is is because of the progression of just like the internet and uh, jujitsu instructionals techniques being shared a lot more freely. Mm-hmm. So man, there's people coming from different parts of the world that have all completely different styles now. Yeah. When I think, and I'm, man, I'm a baby in it. So like getting to know a lot and just reading a lot over the last year. I mean, Danaher, um, would you say he's like one of the most influential coaches? Would you put him up there with Kyle as far as jujitsu? Um, as far as, as far as a coach and his coaching resume, a hundred percent, because obviously, um, he produced Gordon Ryan, who's, you know, done amazing things in the sport. Um, and then on top of that, now he has, I think this is the first time that he has, uh, another champion at ADCC, um, in Giancarlo, who is actually in my weight division. Um, so now he has two ADCC champions under him along with, you know, um, he was training Gary Tonin um, when Gary Tonin got, you know, second or third. Um, he was training Craig Jones when Craig Jones got second. He was training Nicky Rod when Nicky Rod got second, um, both of their first ADCCs. So he's definitely a, a very accomplished coach. Um, I, I would say as far as accomplishments, Kyle is in a similar playing field as him as you know Kyle's produced me I'm not as accomplished um, as some of those guys I haven't placed at the ADCC world championships yet Um, but he's also produced like Yuri my teammate who is now a three-time ADCC champ um, and won the the absolute division as well at ADCC Um, and he's also produced uh, world champions in the gi as far as uh, like such as Mikey Musumeci who's like a four or five time black belt world champion in the gi now. And uh, Kyle was training him for, I think his first like two world championships. So he's produced, he's produced world champions, gi and no gi. Um, If you want to talk about um, accolades as a coach, then if, if we're only looking at no gi, then you could definitely say Donaher's more accomplished. Um, But overall, you know, Kyle does have world champions um, in ADCC and in the gi as well. Got you. Actually, Mikey, Mikey's the uh, kind of, I mean, just a really nice dude who's funny and kind of nerdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, I like that guy. he's one of those guys that every drunk guy in every bar in America would think that they could beat him up, and then they would just get annihilated. <laughs> it would be, a, I mean, that's actually a really good idea for, like, some type of reality <laughs> show, like some bully beatdown type of show. To just have like drunk guys in a bar try to fight Mikey, and then he'll just oh, explode their knees within five seconds. I'd love that. Yeah, it'd be amazing, <laughs> dude. So, so what made you transition from? Hey, I'm not gonna do MMA for now, just f- for health health wise, and then I'm getting into jujitsu. I'm training hard with Kyle, and to going, hey, I'm I'm gonna be a professional athlete and I'm, I'm going up to the top yeah um yeah it was mainly the the main um two reasons one was health and longevity and you know when I was a kid I I was already careless enough when I was in high school didn't care about my health wasn't thinking about my future and uh as I started to get older it starts to you start thinking okay I am going to be 50 60 one day I don't want to have dementia and I don't want to be out of my mind right 
so that was a, a big factor. Um, and then also just business. I just, I, I mean, since I, since I was a kid, I, I was really motivated to be successful in business and, you know, I want to, I want to have a family. I want to be able to provide for my family. Um, I want to be able to be comfortable and, and live a certain type of lifestyle, especially when I'm older. And, uh, so I definitely want to be successful in business. And I, just from what I saw, I thought there was a lot more opportunity to, uh, become successful in jujitsu as well. So those are my main two, two, uh, motivations behind it. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I just was training. I started slowly getting more and more opportunities and, uh, I, I never really understood that I could just be a full-time athlete in jiu-jitsu and just make money through competing. Um, at the time when I was a purple belt at my gym, I was teaching a lot of class. I used to teach like 12 classes a week. I was running a kid's program, running an adult's program. I was doing a lot of private lessons and uh, just hustling and trying to make money. And by the time that I transitioned, I saved up a bunch of money and ended up moving to San Jose. And uh, by that time just a lot more opportunities started to open up in general in the sport of jiu-jitsu. There's a lot more um, paid competitions that started to open themselves up, and I started to get at the level where I could um, start getting paid to compete. And at the same time, I started being able to win some paid events as well. Um, so that was a big thing. And then on top of that, um, on top of that, just started to build my social media and got a lot more opportunities for sponsorships. So those two things happened at the same time. And at the same time that I started to get um, some more opportunities to make money uh, competing, at that time, I also was, you know, transitioning into the training that Kyle wanted me to do, which was a lot more volume. And it just became more and more difficult to teach classes and do private lessons while I was on that training schedule. Yeah. So luckily now, um, you know, I, I teach, I just started teaching classes at the academy again. I teach two classes a week. I'll do um, maybe one private lesson a week, maybe, you know, two. I, I always use a, a a blue belt to be like a dummy, so that way I don't have to, like, get freaking drilled on for an hour. Um, so I, you know, I work for three to four hours most weeks, and then I can really um, spend the rest of my time just dedicated to um, just training and just getting better. Well, I wonder if a lot of people don't know this about you. I mean, you're really entrepreneurial. Like, you know, I, I spotted in you from the first time that seen you. You you, you started branding yourself, and, and and it's not that, you know, other athletes don't do that, but what's different with you is you've been consistent with it continually, yeah. right? And you, you consistently post. You consistently, you know, you got your merch, like, like every – seminar last year you said you did like 40 something seminar like you hustle yeah 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 and I think I don't think a lot of athletes necessarily think about that or do that or they're not necessarily thinking about their future um going forward but you're 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 hyper focused on hey where you're headed your future even outside of when I mean there'll be at some point I imagine a time that you're like okay I'm, I'm done competing professionally in jiu-jitsu but you've you'll have built up a brand you'll built up business investments all those things that you're doing did did you get did you have that when you were a kid it's funny i actually did yeah yeah i uh man another thing i've never talked about before um i i had started like a, a lawnmower business when i was a kid and uh i printed out flyers and i would um 
it had like our phone number, like our house phone number on them. And I'm, and we're talking like, like I think fifth grade. And, uh, I had gotten a hand me down lawnmower from, from my uncle who was, you know, a, a landscaper at the time. And uh, I would go and leave flyers, knock on people's doors, offer to mow their lawns. And then eventually it got to the point where I'd hired a couple kids, a couple of my friends. So we had like, you know, however many lawns and, you know, I was always trying to, I was always trying to think of ways to make money. I always like to make money and I always like to, to save up. I was always thinking like, if you make this much, I was doing the math in my head. Like if I make this much per day and then if I don't spend it, then after like two years, I'll have this much. So I always kind of had that mindset. I don't know where it came from. After two years, I'll have $500. Yeah, I did. I saved 500 bucks one time. Yeah. When I was a kid, same same deal. Like from early on, my dad worked at he was a professor at the Odessa College, and he would bring home these like he brought home these boxes of computer paper. And back then, it's like it had the tabs on the side that you'd have to like put inside the pegs yeah. on the computers. And I'd go door to door, hey, you want some you want some computer paper? And you know, just so use, funny, yeah, just selling, just trying to hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's I think that's a that's a that ingrained entrepreneurship um, that you can just tell with guys that have that you know some guys just they don't they don't have that they just want to work nine to five and you know but with those guys that have that hustle in them they have that drive that says hey I can see a vision like where this can take me here's how I get there now I'm gonna hustle to get there. Um, I'm I'm excited about that, man. I'm excited of, of where you go. So so it was announced, I saw on a podcast, I think it was Ariel Hawani, um, with Gordon Ryan and he said, I'm supposed to fight Mason Fowler here coming up this year sometime. Yeah, so um I won that big tournament on the Fight Pass Invitational in December. Gordon was the main event in a super fight. And uh so obviously it would make sense for whoever won the tournament to have the match with whoever won the super fight. Um, but then on top of that, uh, Gordon actually talked about it on the Errol Hawani podcast that um, I guess the UFC fight pass had told him basically that Mason will be his next match. Um, when we were there at the event, uh, the the people, the executives from fight pass had said that they really want to put um, a lot of, time and energy into building their their jiu-jitsu competition. It's called the Fight Pass Invitational. Um, and they said they wanted to do three to four events this year. Um, but with that being said, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure they have a million things that they're working on, the people that work for UFC Fight Pass. And uh, so I don't know if they're just um, really focusing on some other areas right now. Um, or I don't know if they have a set date in mind. I haven't heard since the tournament. I haven't heard anything from them. Um, so at this point now, luckily, uh, there's been some things that I wanted to accomplish in the Gi this year. Um, I really wanted to do the European championships cause it's a tournament that I won at purple belt and I had, I had never competed in it at black belt. Um, so I really, I had that on my list of things that I wanted to do. And then also with the win at the European championships, um, it will, because it's a major tournament, it will give me a, a really good seating for this year's world championships which um, I didn't compete in the world championships last year because I wanted to focus on ADCC. And now that um, ADCC is only every two years. So this year there's no ADCC. So 
Um, I definitely want to jump into the world championships. I, I, uh, I wanted it purple belt. I wanted it brown belt. And I think that, uh, I would be really mad at myself if I didn't at least, um, at least compete in it at least one time as a black belt, if not, if not a couple times, but, um, I don't know what the future holds, but this year I definitely want to jump into the world championships and that's in, uh, it's at the end of May. So already, you know, did the Europeans in January, um, got the win there. Now my schedule's pretty much open until May. I might um, jump into some type of super fight in April and then, you know, world championships. And then, you know, hopefully after that, you know, six weeks or eight weeks after that, I'll be able to do the match with Gordon. I was hoping it would be before the world championships, um, but I haven't heard anything yet. So I don't think it is going to be so. Did they approach you and offer it to you? They or? didn't offer it to me. The, gotcha. All that I heard is from Gordon's interview. They told Gordon that I'm next. Mm. So I haven't um, discussed the terms with them at all. I haven't negotiated anything with them at all. But um, obviously that's the biggest biggest thing that anyone can accomplish in jiu-jitsu today. Um, I think even bigger than winning the world championships in the gi, even bigger than winning the ADCC world championships would be getting a win over Gordon Ryan. I think that's the biggest thing that you can accomplish in jiu-jitsu today, which is crazy because uh, there's one guy that if you can beat him, it's more important than winning any other tournament, Yeah, I think. It's almost like a Conor McGregor fight. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you, I haven't heard you talk any smack about Gordon. You've yeah. been really respectful. It's just not my style, and it's like at the end of the day, like what am I going to say about the guy? He's on like a 70-match winning streak. He finishes almost everybody. This last ADCC, he had, like, one of the greatest performances in ADCC history. Um, took out a lot of tough guys. Tap, tapped a couple guys within a minute. Really, really high-level black belts. Uh, he also is very, very good at talking crap. So I, I, I don't think that that's something that I really want to push too hard. You know, he's yeah. been pretty respectful to me. Um, I don't have anything against the guy. I wish him the best. He's, he's having some health issues right now. Um, don't wish any harm upon him, uh, but I, I really, really want to beat him. Just the competitor in me. I would love to get a win over him. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, me, like, like me being able to beat him, uh, I, I would have to like that. What that would do for my career, um, would be such a huge, it would be such a huge elevation and that wouldn't be possible without him accomplishing the things that he's accomplished. Right. So yeah. all that can do is just I can just kind of piggyback off everything he's with a win over him. You pretty much piggyback off of everything he's done so far. Yeah. So so there's no there's no hate there. Just the competitor in me definitely wants to beat him. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So so if you did beat him, right, coming up, you know, sometime this year, hopefully, if you did beat him, I mean, I've Obviously, there have to be. If he beat you, ne- not necessarily have to be a second fight. But if you beat him, for sure would have to be a second, and then probably a third, right? To yeah, if- yeah, yeah. I would definitely say, uh, um, if if I were to if I were to beat him, then and this is what I'm planning on too. Hopefully, is that you know you can you can really kind of hold out and and get a big payday on the rematch. Yeah, that would be the big thing that everyone would want to see. Yeah. So, uh, not only. Not only would hopefully I get a decent payday just for the first match and uh, and the opportunity to beat him, but then in beating him, I think that's where the big payday is really going to come. 
Oh. So I think you can hold out. You can make some merch. Yeah, there's the entrepreneur in you. Yep, make some merch. Uh, make a couple jujitsu instructionals. How to hold, be court. <laughs> hold out, hold out for like six months, right? And really capital do seminars and capitalize on it. And then make everyone really want the rematch, and then you could take hopefully a big money rematch. Yeah, yeah. The, the I've been joking, you haven't really, but I've been joking. We'd brand you the King Slayer. Yeah. If and we'd have to make some good merch for uh-huh. it. You know? Yeah. Yep, that would be a that'd be a pretty, pretty good uh, financial move. I think. Do you think you have a good chance? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, he's he's very good, obviously, but um. I think one of the the big problems with people when they compete against him is that um, they they compete against him as if not that they're scared, but it's almost like they respect him too much, or maybe they might even be kind of like like a fan of it. They kind of put him on a pedestal. Um, but for me, um, one of the reasons that I think I've been successful in jiu-jitsu is because I came from the MMA background. So a lot of the bigger names in the sport, I didn't know who they were. So it's not like I, a lot of these guys, when they're coming up, they're watching, like, the black belts, and, and they're putting them on a pedestal, and they're, like, fans of them, right? They're inspiration. And then once they finally are standing across from them, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I'm standing across from so-and-so. But I, ne- I never was really a fan of jiu-jitsu. You know? I watch it now just because I'm a professional and I compete in the sport. Mm. Um, but I didn't come up as, like, this huge fan of jiu-jitsu. So when I do, when I am standing across from someone who's like a big name in the sport, it's not that big of a deal for me. I, I don't even really think about who they are. Yeah, you're think, and you think some guys go in there, they're already beat, or, or they're it's already on the back step. Yeah, it's all mental. This game is all mental. Um, if you can, go, if, if you can go into a match mentally strong, then you know you'll have a pretty good chance of winning. I think. Obviously, there is a a, a skill gap. You, you can't be completely outgunned in skill. But I don't think that that I'm that outgunned against Gordon in skill. Um, I've been, you know, working a lot on strength and conditioning, so my my uh, my weight is very similar to his now. You know, he was a little bit bigger than me before, um, but I've been doing a lot of strength and conditioning. I, I've gotten a little heavier, and uh, I think I can go tit for tat with him uh, technically. the The biggest concern I had was the strength. I, you know, he has a even even now that I'm uh, his, I'm, I'm the same size as him, or I might even be a couple pounds heavier to be honest. But he, even then, he's, he's you know, pretty reasonably stronger than me. You see the type of weight that he puts up. and So I'm still working on my strength. Uh, that's one of my biggest things that I'm working on now. Um, but that was my biggest concern was the strength advantage. And I, I think I'm starting to close that gap a little bit. And uh, I, I think I have some advantages over him as well. So I think it'll be a good match. You said all, and so much of it's mental or all mentally. How, how do you mentally prepare when you're going into competition? Yeah, I, I've always been I've always been pretty strong mentally, um, just from I think from the experience that I had fighting in MMA. Um, a, after I had I had eight MMA fights, and you know I fought um, in a pretty big pretty big stage in my hometown with pretty much everyone I know watching me, and uh, there's a lot of pressure there. You know, you could get knocked out and embarrassed. And when I came into especially Jiu-Jitsu, when you sold them all those tickets, yeah, you sold them the tickets just to watch you get knocked <laughs> out. You know. When I first came into jiu-jitsu, um, I would compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments every once in a while as I was coming up as an MMA fighter, just as kind of a way to compete and stay busy. And so um, the jiu-jitsu competitions were, they were always uh, a little bit more fun and a little bit of a step down as far as like the anxiety and the pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I, I just, I, I think I came into the sport already ahead of a lot of people as far as um, being mentally strong and being able to fight through the, you know, the competition nerves um, because I was dealing with competition nerves that were much, much higher whenever I was competing in MMA. Yeah. I imagine, I mean, one, you're going into a fight, full-blown fight yeah. versus a jiu-jitsu match. Where yeah, way, way uh, less stressful. Even at the end of the day, in a jiu-jitsu match, um, if you lose, it can be embarrassing, you know. I'm a professional jiu-jitsu athlete. Uh, I'm one of the best in the world. And, you know, if you lose, if you get tapped, um, it's, n- it's not good. It's not good for your brand. Um, it's not good for, for you, like, as a competitor. It stings. But most likely the next day, you're going to be fine. You're going to wake up. The sun's out. You don't have to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> like, li- like life's not that bad, right? Yeah. In an MMA fight, it's like if you lose, like you, there's a good chance you got the shit kicked out of you. And that's, that's tough. Yeah. In jiu-jitsu, you can, literally, you can just literally tap, and then it's over, and then it's like, all right, I'll go compete again next weekend. Yeah. And then you can win next weekend, and then it all goes away, right? So there's still there's more pressure <laughs> on me now because um, there's more people watching. The stakes are higher. Um, like, for instance, if I was to beat Gordon, it would be life-changing. It, my net worth would double or triple in a couple months probably. So um, there's a lot of benefit to winning. But at the same time, um, if I was to lose, it's not, it's not like I'm going to go into a dark depression for three months. Like, life is still good. Yeah. But you're not going to lose, right? I'm not going to lose, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just mentally, it's like if you if you can just if you can go into the match confident that you're going to win, but you can't be too afraid of losing. Also, you have yeah. to be just you have to accept the fact that there is a chance that you can lose, yeah. and then and then you're, you're going to be a lot more calm and relaxed. You got to be real about it. You got to be realistic. Yeah, yeah. got to be realistic. So so, I know you and you're all natural, right? Yeah. Like you don't use steroids. You don't use, what are they, PEDs? Do some guy, I mean, obviously some guys in jiu-jitsu do, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's um, no testing in most competitions. The only competition that, that does do um, a test is the IBJJF World Championships, and I believe now the IBJJF Nogi World Championships has started to implement a test as well. And... Uh, I, what they've done in the past is that they only will test the gold medalists. Um, and so there's like 20 gold medalists total between the men and the women. I think um, they do 10 tests total out of the 20 athletes. So about 50% of the winners get tested. Hmm. Just random? Randomly, yeah. I don't know how they decide, but. They say, mm, that one with the big, you know, traps. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to win. I'd like to win the world championships and then you know, pass the test because most, I mean, 95% of guys that compete in jiu-jitsu, they never even take a test in their whole career. Really? Because it's only really the winners of the IBJJF World Championships. So it would be nice to have that clean test on my resume. So that way it's like, I'm one of the guys that got, I won, I got tested, you know? Yeah. How many guys are juicing in jiu-jitsu, you think, at top level? It depends. It depends as far as like as far as like using like using hardcore steroids. It I don't know the numbers, but I think that there's a lot of guys that use 
things that are on the banned list. There's a lot of, like, there's things that you can buy at GNC that are on the banned list under USADA, right? So, um, like, guys that fight in the UFC, they have to they have to send in every supplement that they're taking. They send it to, like, there's, like, a person that works for the UFC that is in charge of, like, checking to make sure every supplement doesn't have things that are banned in it, right? Mm-hmm. So, probably... Probably ninety percent are taking something that's banned. Oh, yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean they're injecting themselves with something like a steroid, but there's a lot of supplements out there that you can like literally buy at the store that are stuffs on the banned list, right? Have you ever gone against guys that you're? I mean, I, I know you've gone against some of the top guys. Yeah. Have you ever gone against guys that you're like, okay, that dude for sure has been using steroids? That's you know that's not fair. I I think so. I mean. Probably right, um, but at the same time, like it's tough because like I have a I have a good friend named Encima. We were talking about him before, and he's just like has the body of like a Greek god. He he's a former bodybuilder, but he was a, li- a lifelong natural bodybuilder, and uh, I believe him. I've had conversations about it, and uh, he gets accusations all the time. He's he's gotten his blood work done, and I think he's posted all his blood work online, and so he's tried to kind of like quiet the haters. Um, he just has, you know, amazing genetics, and he's worked really hard for his whole life. He's, you know, eaten the right things and done the right training. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people would think that he's taking something, right? Yeah. And I, I truly believe that he's not. Or even, like, my strength and conditioning coach, like uh, Jason Kalipa, he's a former CrossFitter. And uh, same thing. People probably – he's a big jack dude, and, you know, he used to be one of the best in the world at CrossFit – most people will just assume or he gets a lot of accusations because the way he looks or because he competed at a high level. But uh, I've had long conversations with him, and uh, and I believe that he's life lifelong natural. So I don't want to – like if I'm competing against someone, that's not the first thing that I'm thinking about. You know, uh. It might – they might be – you know, they might, it might be genetics. It's just it is what it – you just have to come to grips with the, the, the fact that the sport doesn't have uh, mainstream testing – some guys might be doing stuff. Some guys aren't. Some guys are open about it. Some guys lie about it. It is what it is. You know, it's just kind of part of the sport at this point. Have you ever thought about using? Like, of course. Hey. Yeah, of course. Like, you lose a match and then, you're like, fuck, man, I need to get on some steroids, man, and then I'll start winning more, <laughs> you know. Or, yeah, there's there's big competitions that have openly pretty, pretty much said, like, we're, we don't test. We're not planning on testing anytime soon. And uh, it's like the stuff is called like performance enhancing drugs, right? So it's going to enhance your performance. And you want to have a good performance. It's like, (laughs) damn, I really want my performance to be enhanced, man. My performance wasn't too good. It needs to get enhanced, you know? It's like, yeah, for sure, all, uh, all the time. Dude, so so is UFC Fight Pass or are they going to use USADA? Like, if were you tested at all for the tournament? No, no. You think they will in the future? I mean, if they grow it, the problem is if they do that, there's certain guys that that aren't going to be able to do it. Oh, you know. Uh, do you want to name them? No, no, no. Just, okay. I mean, there's cer- there's guys that are open about taking stuff, and yeah. you know, I don't have to drop anyone's name. People, you know, there's guys that are open about it, and uh. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of guys that don't compete if if they were to do that. So, I don't know. I mean, it's up to them. They they run the promotion. 
um, you know, they have the power to do whatever they want. Yeah. Do you see UFC Fight Pass if they double down on it? Do you think it will be just because they're so good with media that it will be kind of the the main event, the main thing that over Worlds and ADAC? So, so um, UFC Fight Pass, I don't think their goal is to be the main thing. They're a streaming service, right? So they actually um, just acquired the rights to ADCC. So ADCC is going to be, all the events are going to be streaming on UFC Fight Pass this year and next year. I think they signed a two-year deal. So everything leading up to the 2024 World Championships is going to be streamed on UFC Fight Pass. Oh, that's cool. Um, And then on top of that, Fight Pass um, also hosts the Eddie Bravo Invitational, Polaris, and they host some other grappling events. So their their goal is definitely not to become ADCC. Um, Their goal is to be the biggest provider of jiu-jitsu to everyone i don't know maybe they will start their own like world championships but i don't think that's the route they're going i think they want to have their ufc fight pass invitational which is like a super fight um promotion and then they'll they'll just stream the world championships um i don't think they want to start their own world championships it's a it's it's a nightmare logistically it would be much more different than anything they've done before um i think they want to stick to the the super fight um, template and then just stream the world championships. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Last question. What was the biggest fight? Was your biggest fight Craig Jones in the sense of like a break into, hey, I beat one of the top guys. I mean, you've beat Craig Jones twice, right? Yeah. You fought him three times, mm-hmm. beat him twice. Mm-hmm. And that was the Chell Sonnen underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that one of the biggest ones that like, oh, my gosh, I've done it. Like I've I've made it up to this point. Yeah, so the first the first thing that I did in 2019 that broke me out un- into kind of a new level was winning the ADCC trials as a brown belt. Um, after winning the ADCC trials, um, I competed against Craig Jones at the ADCC World Championships, and uh, I was there's 16 guys in the bracket. I think I was the number 13 seed. I was a pretty low seed, and Craig was the number one seed. So I beat my first guy. Um, had a good performance. Um, Beat him pretty, pretty easily, and then had Craig in the next round. And me and Craig had um, a really back and forth match. At one point um, later in the match, the match was zero zero, and with maybe uh, two minutes remaining, I I scored two points on him, but I but they didn't give me the two points, but I clearly scored two points on him. And uh, after the event, Craig Jones came out on a podcast and said that. I got robbed, and then I clearly scored two points on him. The president of ADCC came out and said that I scored two points on him. So it was one of those situations where um, I had a really, really good showing against the number one seed in the bracket as a lower seed. And uh, and then at the end, with I think a minute left, I shot in for a takedown, and he caught me in a guillotine and ended up submitting me. Mm. But it's like the thing is like, if I'm up 2-0, I'm not shooting a takedown in the last minute, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. He still could have, like, caught me in something, but if I would have gotten the points that I earned, um, then there was a good chance that I would have beaten him, and then that would have been a huge breakout performance, right? Because I beat the number one seed in the bracket. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I think I could have won the whole bracket. Um, either way, uh, that was that was a big thing for me, um, getting that recognition because a lot of people were watching Craig at that ADCC, and uh, I, I gained a lot of fans just for 
giving Craig an exciting match. Even the people that didn't understand that I had a good chance to win the match, uh, if you, even if you take that out, it still was a very exciting back-and-forth match. So I gained some exposure from that. Um, and then from there, I was injured for a little bit. Um, so I was out for a little bit. And then um, COVID happened, and Chael started running shows during COVID. He was like, I think Chael was the first sporting event in the U.S. Mm. that ran anything. Um, and it was Craig Jones versus Vinny Magalish, and uh, Craig beat Vinny. And then I got entered into the Submission Underground tournament. And then from there, after winning the tournament, I got an opportunity to do a rematch with Craig. Um, and, and kind of a weird rule set in jiu-jitsu. Ended up kind of like gaming the rule set a little bit in the first match. And then uh, the ref stopped the match a little early because I was on Craig's back and I was kind of like cranking on his back and his neck. And he, he was grunting and kind of making a noise. And then the ref stopped the match for like a verbal submission. So there was like a lot of controversy with that. Mm. And actually a lot of Craig's fans kind of came after me. Like I was getting some hate for that. Mm. And then we did a rematch and I kind of did the same thing. I played like really smart strategy. Um, but then at the end he physically tapped. So that, you know, made it a lot. It, was, it wasn't as bad as the first one because he at least physically tapped. But people were still kind of mad at me for – you know, like gaming the rule set. Um, you didn't say he tapped, though. Didn't you? you were like, hey, he just grunted? He was just like, uh, uh. I did actually, in that in the match, I did actually look, look up to the ref, and I was like, verbal tap. And the ref was like, no. And then he made another noise, and then I didn't say anything the second time, and then the ref did stop it. Oh. Um, but either way, the second time, the same exact thing happened, and then he physically tapped. So that, that kind of ended that. Um, but still, I didn't have... I, it, it was worth it financially because I, I was making a lot of money to beat Craig and to be the champion of the promotion, but but it left a, a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths because they, they felt that, because first off, Craig has a lot of fans, and then second off, they felt that I kind of gamed the rule set to beat him. Like, I didn't really beat him. I just, like, out, uh, I just beat him with strategy, yeah. right? So, but after that, I ended up going on a long winning streak on Submission Underground, and I ended up defending the title, like, I think eight times. Wow. Yeah. Um, so then, as I, as I was on that run, my, my stock started to rise. And then, you know, put the gi back on, did some gi tournaments. At, I was still at Brown Belt at the time. Did some gi tournaments at Brown Belt, ended up getting my black belt. And then just, you know, it's been history ever since, just trying to continue to grow, um, you know, as a jiu-jitsu competitor and just trying to win win all the stuff that I can win and, just get whatever I can. Yeah. Get those girls. <laughs> what well, ladies will leave the cell phone number down in the description. <laughs> oh yeah. No, Dude, no, no. You get more text from from uh from the ladies and, and you're I'm modest pretty, about it. I'm pretty sure that this <laughs> podcast is like ninety nine percent dudes, so it's <laughs> yeah. gonna be some dudes texting me like, Hey Dude. bro. <laughs> Awesome. Dude, awesome having you on. Thank yeah. you so much. Let's Thank go roll. Absolutely, let's go. Yeah, All we're right. about to do a jiu-jitsu class right now, so. All right, awesome. Get it. Out. We're out. We want to thank everybody for listening in on this episode of Shoot Me Straight. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episodes we have put out, please like, comment, and subscribe to our channel.